The Bible reading today is taken from uh, the book of Mark, beginning at the first verse of chapter 2, and it's found on page 1002 of your Bible. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Cool. Thanks, Robin. Hi, everyone. How are you all doing? All right, good, good. Excellent. I'm going to start off giving us all a little quick history lesson. Uh, So in 1928, domestic life was changed forever uh, because the first ever loaves of sliced bread 
uh, were made available for sale by Wonder Bread. Uh, it was advertised as the greatest forward step in the baking industry since bread was wrapped. There you go. It was a game changer. Uh, you know, it's something that we're all affected by. Did anyone have toast for breakfast today? Yeah. Was the bread pre-sliced? Didn't it save you time? Isn't that a beautiful thing? There you go. And of course, we have that beautiful saying, thanks to sliced bread, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah. It's cool. So on the 20th of July, 1969, an estimated 600 million people uh, witnessed live on television and radio uh, the first person uh, to walk on the moon. Uh, And what's the quote that goes with that? One giant leap for mankind. Yeah, Neil Armstrong. Uh, Huge game changer for the generation that witnessed it. It completely kind of altered what we think is possible and what's achievable uh, by people. Uh, Definitely responsible for lots of uh, developments in science and technology, inspired a whole generation of scientists and engineers who saw it happen. And it gave us the question, uh, if they can land man on the moon, why can't they do that? I don't know if you've ever asked that before. Uh, I'm sure, you know, every generation that's represented here this morning, uh, you could probably think of the kind of the game changer for your generation. Don't know what it would be. Um, I think for, for me, uh, my generation, the, the invention of the iPhone would have to be a big one. You know, the thing that got us all looking down uh, all the time. Um, but also, you know, got us all connected and that sort of thing. Uh, the iPhone, I don't know, what, what's the big game changer for your generation, do you reckon? Or more personally, what, what are sort of some of the big pivotal moments so far in your life? Uh, some of the game changers for you personally? I reckon for me... Um, the day that my dad taught me how to play Smoke on the Water on guitar uh, would have to be a big one. Uh, the day when um, in high school one of my best mate's mums passed away when we were 14 had a big impact on me and our friends. Um, coming to Trinity Bay when I was 16, uh, 10 years ago just about, uh, investigating the Bible uh, for myself, I guess for the first time. Uh, my years at uni... Uh, The big game changer for me recently, getting married to Aisha. Definitely life won't be the same. Uh, It's a beautiful thing. Uh, What about you? What are some of those big moments uh, for you? might be something that we can chat about over morning tea a bit later on. So who is Jesus? Uh, Right from the start of Mark's gospel, uh, we've been introduced to Jesus who changes everything uh, for the people who meet him. He's the ultimate game changer. I'm just going to move these shakers. Uh, so uh, you might remember if you were here last week or if you've read Mark uh, chapter 1 recently, uh, he comes onto the scene with the words, repent and believe. Uh, they're game-changing words. Uh, you know, change your thinking, uh, leave everything behind and come with me, trust in me, Jesus says. Game-changing words. But should we listen? That's sort of not the sort of thing you do just on a whim. Who is Jesus? Well, our first uh, heading this morning is really about why this is the most important question uh, that you'll ever consider. So if you want to know why you and everyone you know uh, should get to know Jesus, uh, just ask the paralyzed guy uh, at the start of chapter 2 that we just heard read out. Meeting Jesus changes this guy's life forever. Uh, Jesus forgives his sin and enables him to get up and walk out in front of everyone. Uh, It was an event that sparked controversy uh, with the religious establishment of the time. So in verse 7, if you want to have a look there, uh, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus proves to have the authority of God himself uh, because a bit later on, in verse 10, he says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Now this raises all kinds of questions for us, doesn't it? If Jesus has the power to change a paralyzed man's life like this, and he says that it's all to show that he has the authority to forgive sins, what does that mean for us? Who needs this forgiveness today? Jesus is a game changer. And the incident uh, we read uh, in, where is it, verse... 12. It leaves everyone saying, we've never seen anything like this. He's come doing something completely new. 
If you want to know why you and everyone you know should get to know Jesus, uh, just look at what he does when he meets Levi in verses 13 to 17. So we're told in verse 14 that Levi was sitting at his tax collector's booth. Uh, That is, he was one of the most hated people uh, in his society at the time. A tax collector. A Jewish guy working for the occupying Roman forces who made life hard for everyone. Uh, He would have been rich. Uh, He would have been well looked after. But he wouldn't have had many friends because he spent most of his time uh, cheating people out of money for his own gain. And you kind of get the sense of how people feel about him. Uh, By the way, that the the scribes lump sinners and tax collectors into the same sentence in verse 16. He's the least likely person you could imagine coming into a church or to become a Christian. But he's the one who Jesus chooses to call, follow me. And Levi does, and it changes everything. What follows is a beautiful picture of fellowship between God and sinners Uh, So in verse uh, 15, Jesus is reclining at the table at Levi's house, along with a bunch of other tax collectors and sinners. And it causes even more of a a stir among the religious elite of his day. Uh, What's Jesus doing keeping company like this? Now, it's hard for us to imagine because, you know, uh, I don't really know what the equivalent of tax collectors today are. You know, people who work in the tax office are pretty lovely generally. Um, But maybe to give you a vague idea, you know, imagine Jesus sitting at you know, the table with a notorious bikey gang and hanging out with them. These people who kind of deal in all kinds of shady business and who kind of bring a threatening presence wherever they go. Uh, Jesus says in verse 17, these are the people who he came to call. Jesus completely changes the game for Levi. Before this, Levi was rich and lonely, but now he has a house full of people. Uh, He was an outsider, but now he's an insider. He was an enemy of God, now a friend. Who is Jesus? Uh, This is a question that could alter the direction of your entire life, like it did for Levi, like it did for the paralyzed man, and like it's done for countless others uh, in the last 2,000 years. So, heading to, this is where we're going to spend most of our time. Who is Jesus? Uh, In verses 18 to 22, uh, Jesus gives us some powerful insights into exactly who he is, and gives us good reason uh, to do a Levi. Uh, So firstly, uh, Jesus is the one to break a fast for. Uh, So I don't know about you, but uh, in my life, a lot of those big changes, those game-changing moments, come after a pretty low patch, or when things are kind of tough. Uh, And that's definitely the situation when we pick up uh, in verse 18. Uh, So have a look with me. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Uh, Has anyone tried fasting before at some point? Maybe a few? 40-hour famine or something like that? Yeah? Yeah. Uh, But it's not really a huge part of our culture, like not something that everyone does all the time regularly, Uh, but it certainly was uh, back in this time. It seems that at this moment, everyone's fasting except for Jesus and his followers. And it's kind of interesting that these two very different groups of people, uh, John the Baptist's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees, are all refraining from eating food. And it kind of makes us think, you know, what's, what's the reason for it? What's, what's making them all do it? Uh, well, we aren't told, uh, but we do know that fasting is something that was associated with grieving, just like it is today. Uh, you know, it was an activity associated with funerals. Uh, as people grieved over death, taking someone away from them. I don't know, have you ever um, felt that? Have you ever felt so grieved that you've lost your appetite? Uh, I think of my mum. When uh, my grandpa uh, was in hospital really sick and things were looking a bit, you know, uncertain. Uh, Now, when crisis hits, uh, you can ask her, mum just swoops into action mode. Uh, You know, she's out looking after everyone, giving people lifts to the hospital, you know, picking up food to give to people, all that sort of thing. Uh, But you just couldn't get her to eat a meal uh, at that time when grandpa was in in hospital. Maybe the idea of, you know, eating and looking after yourself kind of gets a bit absurd when you think about someone you love suffering and you can't do anything for them. Uh, But thank God he's here today. You can go and meet Dean afterwards if you haven't before. Uh, In the Old Testament, uh, fasts were often associated with mourning uh, over death. 
Um, but they also accompanied grieving over sin, uh, over rejecting God's way and going our own way. And it's funny how those things are so often linked. Uh, we all know that, that horrible sinking feeling in the pit of our stomachs when we realize um, that we've wronged God or another human being. You know, when you look back over the words you've just said to someone in the heat of the moment and you just feel sick in your stomach. I know I've been there before. Or you know how we like to, to draw lines for ourselves and then cross them. Uh, it might be, you know, a line around physical stuff with someone you're dating uh, or how much it is okay to drink or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, we just can't help ourselves when it comes to crossing lines. And we might not fast over it, but we certainly live with a real sorrow and that kind of twisted knot in our stomach uh, when those things happen. Uh, again, in the Old Testament, fasting wasn't a law prescribed by God to make atonement for sin, uh, but it was a behavior that accompanied lament over sin. Uh, so back in Leviticus, on the annual day of atonement, God tells his Old Testament people, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work. Uh, a bit later on, for on this day shall atonement be made for, for you to cleanse you. So afflicting themselves may have included fasting, uh, but it, 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 doing that didn't atone for their sin itself. It was an appropriate behavior uh, for the day where their sins were paid for by the sacrifice of goats on their behalf. You know, not eating food was seen as, a, a, I guess, a fitting way of expressing regret, uh, of sobering up and um, facing the harsh realities of life as a flawed person. And so when we weep over these things today, when we lose our appetite, uh, we're crying very old tears uh, because right from the start, people have struggled to live as God would have us live. And the result is that we're cut off from God, the giver of life. And so we live under the shadow of death. Sin and death do really go together. And we're reminded here that we can't fix ourselves. Not even the religion like the Pharisees had can help us. When it comes to sin and death, we really are powerless. Uh, we can only look on and weep. But imagine never feeling that twisted knot in your stomach in the same way again. Perhaps that's what drives people to come and ask Jesus this question about fasting. You know how we do that thing where we kind of ask a superficial question, but really we want to ask a much deeper question, but we're kind of scared to ask it. You know, Jesus, why aren't you guys fasting? Jesus, can you do something about sin and death? Because Jesus turns up and he's doing something new. He's not fasting. Everyone else seems to be grieving something except for Jesus and his friends. He's the one worth breaking a fast for. Uh, I don't know how you've come here today. Maybe you're feeling some of these things, those knots in your stomach. Uh, there is hope. And thank God it's not found by just sort of denying that there's an issue. It's not found by pulling our socks up and, you know, getting it right next time. It's found in following Jesus. And so we might ask along with the people in verse 18, Jesus, why aren't your disciples fasting? Well, we continue on in verse 19. Have a look at what Jesus says in answer. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. Who is Jesus? He's the bridegroom. Appropriate language for Valentine's Day. Has anyone been to a wedding so far this year? Yeah, yes, I know you guys have, yeah. They're just joyous occasions, aren't they? You know, I, I must admit I'm a bit of a sucker for weddings. I'm not usually, you know, very emotional and that sort of thing, but I just kind of can't help myself, uh, you know, at a wedding. And I've, uh, I've gotten to go to a couple myself over summer. So Matt and Jenny's wedding a few weeks ago was just a joy. And Brenton and Alana from TVE got married at the end of last year as well. Uh, and just uh, thinking about the groom. So I know Matt and um, Brenton uh, pretty well. And they're kind of guys who, they don't give a lot away in their kind of facial expressions. They're pretty calm, cool and collected. Um, but it was just such a treat on their wedding days to see them absolutely beaming. There's just, there's just something about wedding days and joy, isn't there? So why is Jesus taking these people to a wedding when they're asking him about fasting? What does he mean by calling himself the bridegroom? He's saying that for those who are with him, he turns the morning of a funeral into the joy of a wedding reception. 
And even more than that, he's saying that God is coming good on some very old promises to his people. Uh, So we read uh, in Isaiah 62, I think the verses are there. Excellent. Uh, You shall no longer be termed forsaken. Your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. People in Jesus' day were desperate for these promises to be true. Their nation was nothing compared to what it was. They were in mourning. They felt forsaken by God like he was a million miles away. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. But in Isaiah, God promises that they'll no longer be forsaken but married. No longer desolate, but flourishing and loved. Now, a quick question. Words are still there. Um, Who is the bridegroom uh, in these verses? Anyone? Non-rhetorical. Just down at the bottom there. So, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I think it's talking about God being the bridegroom. And here comes Jesus, 800 years later, saying that he's the bridegroom. What a huge statement. He's saying that he is God himself, come to put things right. Gone are the days of being cut off from God because of sin. He's here with people. And he goes even further in verse 22, when he talks about new wine. You know that bit where he talks about new wine and new wineskins. Again, he's talking about the newness of what he's come to bring while reminding his listeners Uh, That is fulfilling some very old promises. So just like the mention of the bridegroom, the mention of new wine would bring to mind Old Testament scriptures for Jesus' listeners. Uh, So the book of Amos, I don't know if it's a book you've read lately. Uh, It's quite a scary book, I reckon. Written about 600 years before Jesus. It talks mostly about uh, God's judgment that he has in store because of the way Israel has treated him. But it ends with God making these amazing promises that the days are coming when things will be restored and the mountains shall drip sweet wine, God says. An abundance of new wine represents God's promise of salvation beyond judgment day. And Jesus, the bridegroom, has come on the scene to bring on those days of new wine. To bring us from mourning about our state before God to the great wedding reception where people and God are in a real joyful relationship together. Now, in a room this size, I'm sure we'd probably have a few different views on whether there is a heaven and what it might be like. Don't know what you think. Uh, Author Stephen King says this, I don't want to go to the heaven that I learned about when I was a kid. To me, it seems boring. The idea that you're going to lounge around on a cloud all day and listen to guys play harps. I don't want to listen to harps. I want to listen to Jerry Lee Lewis. I like that quote, you know, sitting around listening to harps on a cloud does sound pretty dull. But is this the heaven of the Bible? Is this what Jesus came to bring? Uh, Similarly, I think Christianity is often portrayed as a life of solemn duty. You know, paintings of people in the Bible and uh, figures from church history are often, they look quite grim and sorrowful. And maybe that's how you're feeling about what it means to follow Jesus. But this is what it's all about, a party with God and people together. That's the image that Jesus paints. And we know he really means it because he's just lived it out uh, with Levi in the previous scene. You know, that fellowship around the table. That's exactly the reason the bridegroom has come. So who is Jesus? He's the one to break a fast for. He's the bridegroom who brings the days of new wine. And thirdly, he's the ultimate game changer. How is it possible for God to sit at the table with sinners without just kind of ignoring the ways that we treat him? I think we get a strong clue in what Jesus says next in verse 20. Have a look with me. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and on that day they will fast. Seems that a time of mourning will come for Jesus' followers. He chooses heavy words to introduce it. The time will come. They're the kinds of words that you read in books like Amos and Isaiah when God warns people about his coming judgment. The time will come. The time for his followers to mourn uh, is when the bridegroom is taken away. 
Uh, this is the first of many times where Jesus predicts uh, his upcoming betrayal, arrest, and execution. And it's incredible to imagine, isn't it, the bridegroom, God himself, being taken away. But that's the direction that everything's headed in, in Mark's gospel. Uh, so a bit later on in chapter 14, we read, Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them, The one I kiss is the man, arrest him, and lead him away under guard. Chapter 15, So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. And so the Son of God is taken away to his cross. It's unimaginable, and yet it's the only way that what he says here in Mark 2 could be true. Sinners can only break the fast and enjoy the company of the bridegroom if their sins are dealt with. God doesn't just sweep them under the carpet. The beauty of the cross, though, is that the punishment and the judgment goes on Jesus and not on us. So again from Isaiah... We read, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. How is it possible for unworthy sinners like us to think that we might be able to share a nice red with the God of the universe? It's because of Jesus' cross. For our sins, he was punished. Even going way back to the Day of Atonement, which we looked at a little bit earlier, uh, it was never about people making themselves right with God by fasting. No, it was always about God's merciful provision. He made it possible uh, for the priest to sacrifice one goat on behalf of the people and to put his hands on the head of another goat as if he was transferring all the sins of the nation onto that goat and sending it off into the desert. This was all God's provision for people all designed to lead them to Christ. Because as he hung on that cross, Jesus didn't just endure a brutal execution. He took on himself the terrifying judgment of God once for all. That's how real forgiveness is possible. That's why Jesus' disciples don't need to be consumed by grief about death and sin. Jesus paid for them. The days of salvation beyond judgment have arrived for anyone who will follow him. And that's what makes Jesus the ultimate game changer for all of us. The cross challenges all our preconceptions because uh, it really renders religion uh, obsolete. And that's why it says uh, in verses 21 and 22, no one sews a patch of untrunk cloth onto an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. The cross is just incompatible uh, with all human ways to God. It doesn't matter what your religious system is, even Judaism, you can't squeeze him into it. I guess to illustrate using the language Jesus does, uh, Aisha gave me some lovely new shirts for Christmas. I'm wearing one today. I think it's pretty nice. Um, and if you know me, you'd know that it was very much time for an update uh, to my sort of tattered old t-shirt collection. But imagine uh, if I decided to use these new shirts as kind of material for my next craft project uh, and sort of cut out a nice new breast pocket to sew onto my old Bob Dylan t-shirt. I don't know. How do you think she'd feel? We, we can't just kind of take bits uh, of what Jesus says and assimilate them into our worldview. Uh, we can't just say he was a great guy and then ignore the claims that he made about his cross. We can't say that he's a saviour and then act as though our salvation really depends on outward things that we do. It's like trying to sew Jesus on to a bit of religion. It just doesn't work. And praise God for that. Because human religion is really only capable of mourning over sin and death. On the cross, Jesus dealt with sin and defeated death once for all. Religion can recognize that a man with leprosy is unclean, but its best solution is to push him away and marginalize him. It's powerless to change him. Only Jesus can reach out his hand and touch the man and make him clean. The best of humanity can mourn for a paralyzed man and maybe even incredibly heal his body with medicine. But only Jesus has the compassion 
and the authority to say, son, your sins are forgiven. Religion can condemn a man like Levi, but only Jesus can recognize that Levi is a sinner and yet love him, associate with him and ultimately fix the heart of the problem. At his cross, only Jesus can forgive the unforgivable. Religion's all about doing in order to be accepted. Uh, following Jesus is doing because we are accepted. The bridegroom has been taken away. Jesus has died for our sin. The price is paid. And he calls us to come and follow him. And it can be hard. Uh, I think that's why Jesus tells us. Uh, because we're stubborn. Uh, we don't want to say that, we kind of want to say that our way is better. Uh, we're like grumpy kids who just don't want to admit that it's time to go to bed and our parents are right. Um, but if we want to see that the end of sin and death uh, in our lives, we've got to admit that Jesus' way is right. Uh, the way of the cross is our only hope and embrace it fully. I think Levi, the tax collector's response to Jesus, is a great example uh, of letting Jesus change everything. Uh, so for our last heading this morning, we're going to look uh, a little bit more at Levi and think about what it means to do a Levi in our own lives. Uh, so first, uh, let's think about his tax booth and all that it represents. Uh, he immediately leaves it behind to follow Jesus in verse 14, doesn't he? Now, is that to say that we all need to get up and, and quit our jobs immediately? I don't think so. Uh, actually, I think uh, we, it's telling us that we need to leave behind whatever it is that might prevent us from following Jesus like Levi does. Uh, for Levi, his tax booth represents his old life, for living for money rather than for God, of treating others badly. It might have nothing to do with your job, uh, but you may well be feeling uh, acutely aware of sin in your own life or the shadow of death you know, looming over you today, those things that tie a knot in your stomach. Jesus came for you, and the invitation for you is to do the same thing as Levi does, to follow him. Now notice that he doesn't say to Levi, hey Levi, uh, sort out your life, get your behavior in order, and then come and see me a bit later. He just says, follow me, doesn't he? Jesus is the only doctor uh, who can do something about the problem. And so just like with you know, visiting your local GP when you're sick, he urges you not to put it off. Now, we have some doctors here this morning. Um, you might like to ask a doctor. Uh, I'm sure they'll tell you how common it is for people uh, to put off coming in to see them, to kind of live in denial with the symptoms uh, just longer and longer, and only coming in when it's too late. The bridegroom has arrived. The invitation's been extended. Uh, follow Jesus without delay, just like Levi does. Now, I know that um, many people here today have been following Jesus for a long while now, a lot longer than me. Uh, Levi's story should remind us of our own story as well. Before we met Jesus, we were defined uh, as rotten sinners, enemies of God without hope of fixing ourselves. And it's all thanks to Jesus that we are people who get to sit at the table with him. Praise God for his kindness to us. I think it's good to remember this as well so that we don't trick ourselves into thinking you know, that we really are healthy in and of ourselves. We need to depend on the great physician. Uh, because Jesus' followers won't get it perfect all the time. You know, He says, follow me. He doesn't say, sort out your life and then follow me. Uh, following Jesus is about living in light of what he has achieved on the cross and the acceptance that he's already showed us. Uh, so we will make mistakes, but that doesn't mean that we're not in relationship with him. And I think it's no accident that God uses the language of marriage to describe his relationship with people. Uh, I think I've come to appreciate that a bit more recently, because uh, I made some pretty big promises uh, on that game-changing day about a year ago. And since then, I've done a lot of stupid stuff, made dumb mistakes, and, you know, learning to keep those promises. Um, but that doesn't make me any less married, I've come to learn. Um, but of course I want to change those selfish behaviors, and there are many of them. Not because I have to or I'll get in trouble, uh, just because I love my wife, and that relationship affects my life in a big way. I think in a similar way, Jesus, the bridegroom, rejoices over his bride, the people he has saved. We'll get things wrong a lot, but that doesn't mean that we're not his people. And that doesn't mean that we won't keep coming back to him for forgiveness and help 
uh, to live in a way that honors him because that relationship defines who we are. So Levi's tax booth. Uh, Let's think a bit about Levi's table, that beautiful scene uh, that follows of Levi at the dinner table with Jesus and all his sinner friends. Uh, That reminder that Jesus came to bring the days of new wine. Um, So Jesus is at Levi's house. Uh, You kind of get the strong sense, though, that Jesus is the host. You know, people come to him with the questions. Uh, After all, he is the bridegroom. Now, I don't know about you, but my house is kind of a a personal place in my life. Uh, Inviting someone into it means that I'm inviting them to kind of see the the behind-the-scenes mess, uh, you know, and kind of into that intimate place. Uh, The invitation here is to let Jesus be the game-changer uh, in every aspect of life, not just sort of the, the outward parts, but in the personal and private and messy parts as well. And it's sort of, it's not really explained much in the passage, but it's sort of evident that Levi's invited all these other friends to join in the dinner table as well. It kind of just seems like it's a, a natural outworking of, you know, in a world where there's so much hate, Levi has been shown love and acceptance, and he shows that love to others by inviting them to meet Jesus as well. How can we do that today? I think it's got, you know, to do with the, the time uh, that we spend getting to know people and the people we choose to, to hang out with and invite into our lives and pray for. I heard a great example of this last Sunday, actually. Uh, Brian and Helen Gitchum, uh, they might be able to tell you more about this, but uh, they shared with me that they pray every day for opportunities uh, to speak to people about Jesus. Uh, and last week they were having lunch together Uh, And the man at the next table kind of came over to them and sort of said, oh, can I ask you a question? Uh, I'm doing this assignment about ethics and morals, and I just kind of want to know what people think. Uh, And anyway, apparently it led to this hour-long discussion about life and gave them the chance uh, to speak to this man about Jesus. Uh, How cool is that? Uh, You know, in life today, it's pretty easy just kind of to stay inside our bubbles Uh, to just kind of look at the people who are already at the table with us and to avoid conversation with people that we don't really know, or even to avoid deep conversations with people that we do know well. Uh, I recently got a phone call out of the blue from an old friend wanting to catch up and and talk things over. He kind of wanted to find out a bit about church and uh, just to talk about stuff. Uh, And we haven't had many deep conversations before. And it's kind of a bit like, oh, what do I do with this? And, um, you know, but, you know, I know that he's not, currently a Christian, and we got together and we had this amazing chat about all sorts of things and, you know, just stuff like what have you been doing since high school, but uh, including stuff we got to talk about Jesus. Uh, It was really exciting uh, to be able to share some of that and give him some stuff to think about. Uh, But, you know, some time has gone by since then, and it's been kind of hard, you know, when do we catch up again, and we're both busy and all that sort of thing. Uh, But I've been reminded this week that making time for people who don't know Jesus Uh, It's really what Jesus' followers need to be on about. Uh, So please pray for me in that situation and and for my friend. Uh, But Levi's Levi's story really is a great reminder, isn't it, of how how Jesus sees people. And it's really different to how we see people, I think, a lot of the time. Uh, Because we might write somebody off as, you know, too hard, just too immoral, just really not the kind of person that you'd expect to say yes to an invitation to come along to something at church. Um, You know, you just kind of don't expect that they'd be interested. But these are exactly the people who Jesus came to call, and they're the people who, you know, many followed him. Yes, he clearly sees that they are spiritually sick. They need need the doctor. uh, And yet he doesn't shy away from associating with them. And again, I've got to admit, I've been rebuked this week because I've realized that there are people in my life who I just kind of, I just never imagine them becoming Christians, never imagine them being interested in Jesus. And so I just kind of shy away from talking about that stuff with them. Um, but I pray that I'll learn to see people more like Jesus does. Uh, maybe you'd like to make that your prayer this week as well. Because no one's too far gone for Jesus. Remember what he was said? We had that great memory verse earlier when he was criticized for hanging around with Levi and his friends. Verse 17. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Who is Jesus? He's the one to break a fast for. He turns our mourning into joy. He's the bridegroom. God himself come to put things right, to bring the days of new wine. He's the ultimate game changer. The one who died to bring our forgiveness. 
and the one who calls us now to drop everything and follow him. And that invitation is open now to all sinners to come and follow him and to invite others to do the same. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he came, not for the healthy, but for the sick, for sinners like us. Thank you that he has the authority to forgive. Uh, And we do acknowledge that we need that forgiveness. Thank you that on the cross, where the bridegroom was taken away, Jesus paid for every sin and defeated death once for all. And thank you that though we do still struggle against sin and live in a world where pain and grief are real, we can live with a real hope in Jesus. Please help us to be like Levi and to leave everything behind that we need to in order to follow your son. Please help us if there are particular things in our life at the moment that are stopping us from following him wholeheartedly. And we ask that you'd help us to see ourselves and others like Jesus does. Not in human terms like insider or outsider, religious or not, but as people who you love and sent your son for, who need to know him. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, the weight of our sin is made buoyant by the love of Christ. Uh, These words from the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're going to sing this song in response because all we can bring to Jesus is nothing. So let's stand and sing. All I can bring to you, Lord Jesus, all I can bring to you, my King, is a heart that is broken, torn and bleeding. All I can bring to you is my heart to heal. All I can offer you, Lord Jesus, all I can offer you, my King, is a life that is needing your forgiveness. All I can offer you is my life to All I can do for you, Lord Jesus, all I can do for you, my King, is trust in your word and forbear for you. All I can do is let you make me new. All of 
to God alone, all of the glory. Be 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 to God alone. Please have a seat as we pray. The words from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Dear Heavenly Father, how thankful we are that you have taken our sin away, that Jesus bore the penalty of death to give us peace. How thankful we are that you rose Jesus from the dead, a proof to us of your saving power and the life eternal. And how thankful we are for your Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sin and gives us faith, renewing in us a clean heart that can love and serve you. How thankful we are for your word, the Holy Scriptures, that instruct, rebuke, comfort and encourage us in our lives as we seek each day to follow Jesus our King. And how thankful we are to be a part of your family your adopted children, brothers and sisters in Christ. Please bind us together in love as we forgive and bear each other's burdens. We pray for ourselves that we would make the most of the opportunities we have to tell people about Jesus, to invite old friends and new along to our 10th birthday and to help the newer members of this church to feel welcome. We thank you that we were commissioned together last Sunday to be workers in your mission as we rehearse to ourselves and are reminded to rehearse to our children the good news of Jesus. We thank you for the staff and trainees. Please keep them rooted in your word with their eyes on Jesus so that they may run the long race and not get distracted. We thank you for Alex and Gaynor in the office and they work and the work they do in admin. And we also thank you that Bron Hearn is now working as the Safer Ministry Coordinator. Please help us to help her by taking the time to do the paperwork and the training. We pray for Margaret Ford as she prepares to teach the women at the upcoming brunch, showing us that Jesus is enough bread for a whole year and more. Please free up the women so that we can come along to this brunch as we can grow in our confidence together in Christ. Father, please call your church out of slumber here at the Bay, in this nation and in the world. For we have been equipped with the good news of peace and we have your armour of truth, righteousness, faith and salvation as declared to us in your word. And so we can pray with confidence because you loved us first and you alone are faithful. And so Christ will return bringing in the new heavens and the new earth. So keep us standing firm until that day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in this last song together, as a church, let's arise and encourage each other with these words. Oh, church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. With shield of faith and belt of truth, we'll stand against the devil's lies. An army bold, whose battle cry is love, reaching out to those in darkness. Our call to war, 
to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor, and with a sword that makes the wounded whole, we will fight with faith and valor. When faced with trials on every side, we know the outcome is secure. And Christ will have the price for which he died, an inheritance of nations. Come see the cross where love and mercy meet. As the Son of God is stricken, then see his foes lie crushed beneath his feet. For the conqueror is risen, and as the stone is rolled away, and Christ emerges from the grave, this victory march continues till the day. Every eye and heart shall see him. So, Spirit, come. Put strength in every stride. Give grace for every hurdle that we may run with faith to win the prize of a servant, good and faithful. As saints of all still line the way, retelling triumphs of His grace. We hear their calls and hunger for the day when with Christ we stand in glory. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the morning tea we're going to share together in a moment. Please bless our conversations. Please send us out um, knowing what it's like and showing what it's like to break the fast for Jesus, who turns mourning into joy. And please help us um, to invite all to, um, to party with Jesus. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. See you over morning tea. Stack a chair.